Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And one of these days, we're going to say good morning and happy spring. Huh? <laughs> if it would just stop snowing and get warm. Yeah, in the northeastern United States, the, the weekend upcoming is supposed to be in the teens and 20s. I'll tell you, the garden is not happy. Two, two days ago, we had snow. But your cousin says that in your hometown of Huddersfield, it's as warm as Madrid, although Madrid in the winter isn't very warm. Very warm anyway. (laughs) One thing you can be sure, in Huddersfield, it's probably also raining. Probably. (laughs) Winifred didn't mention that. It's such a common occurrence. But but anyway, we're we're here, you're here, that's all that's really important. Who who cares what it's doing outside, right? And we have some really good... um, recipe developers and help for the the home cook and also a new take on um, yeah, on southern it's good stuff food. it's good stuff yeah, interesting good stuff, stuff. Yeah. We, we usually talk you we want talk, the, we talk the, a lot pumped. about pumped oops I, I was thinking if you wanted in terms of your daily cooking routine to, to be pumped this is the uh, the up this line the, of people yeah. you should be reading yeah this is the pro- this is the program for you if that's your desire. So we start out actually um, with Allison Roman, um, who has a yeah, it's a nice twist here. Instead of dining out, it's called dining in, and um, she will give us recipes. I think if you get this book, you'll get recipes for how you can make a lively dinner schedule during the week. Every so often, I get a cookbook in the mail that I can't put down and I have no intention of parting with, and uh, that's how I feel about the current one, uh, Dining In, and we're going to be interviewing Allison Roman, uh, who is the author. Now, Allison, you have a long history with food and with recipes and food writing. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I got my start working in restaurant kitchens about 12 years ago. I started working in the pastry department at a restaurant in Los Angeles, and it was really only because they that was the only position they had available was in pastry. So I said, I'll take it. And I started learning how to cook kind of just by watching the other people in the kitchen and you know, keeping an eye, op- eye open, even while I was just doing pastry, it was, it was a small kitchen, so I got to see how kind of everything was done. And from there, I worked my way up and moved to San Francisco, I moved to New York, I had a long career in, sorry about that, yeah, no, it's just spring, spring uh, floral season. Um So I worked in restaurant kitchens, mostly in pastry, for about six years. Um, in Los Angeles and then in San Francisco. And then I decided to move to New York where I was going to stop working in pastry and I was going to focus on trying to write again, which is what I had gone to college for. And I, I really missed writing and, and talking about food rather than just cooking it every day. So I moved to New York and I, of course, ended up working in a kitchen again, but I, I was only there for about a year and a half. And um, then I left and I got a job freelancing for Bon Appetit magazine, mostly just testing recipes, and then I I started developing my own, and then I was doing a little more. Well, you know, I mean, you can tell by reading this that this is um, a book intended to be a a, a written. I mean, a thing, a write, a written thing. I don't know how else to call it. It is not just a, um, a a cook or a chef's book. I mean, it's it's about the writing too. And one of the nicest things about it is that the the writing is um, well. First of all, I mean, you have a great vocabulary. You have an access to humor and wit. Um, you know, it's, it's a great way, and you put everything very lucidly down on, on paper too. Um, so it's a it's, it's you can tell you're a writer. It does remind me you and I both um, love uh, Gabrielle Hamilton, and she of course has this dual thing with the writing and the cooking too. I mean, she's a writer. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, where absolutely. did you do your writing? Where did you study writing? Um, in college, in college. But you know, I had I kind of grew up writing. I I that's just how I communicated best. I wrote letters to my best friend. I wrote letters to my parents when I was in trouble. To try uh-huh. to get out of trouble. <laughs> my mom has a lot of them saved, which 
I'm sure she'll show to somebody at some point. But I, it's just it's the way that I've always best communicated. So I found it, it came very naturally to me to want to communicate recipes and cooking in that way as well. well. And I think recipes should be conversational. Well, you are conversational, and, and one of the things, you have very definite opinions about things. <laughs> That's true. I like, yeah, I like that. I mean, I'm glad somebody came out and say, of all these things, she loves kale, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, I don't. But you And you hate avocado toast, which I do, too. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm glad I, we're kindred spirits, but. I think so. I'm not afraid to say so, right? No, never be afraid to say so. There's a lot of people that write cookbooks and recipes, and I feel like the only thing you really have is to be yourself. So, well, you want you really got to lean into that. The point of this is, you want people to stay in and cook, don't you? Of course. And you're not going to make it too tough on them. I mean, you're. uh, Where's that statement that you're not going to ever make them use two skills if you can do it in one? And you know. You're not going to ask them to buy ingredients that they never heard of and will never use again. I mean, it's, it's intended to help people um, access their cooking gene, right? I've been right, tra- exactly. I've been, I've been trying to get a word in edgeways here for the last 15 minutes. Oh, go ahead. Don't, sorry. don't worry about that. One of, the th- <laughs> one of the things I noticed along the way is that you passed through Michael Tusk's kitchen. Quince, we love Quince, we love Michael. Michael Tusk from Quince, and he's such a wonderful guy, and his team is so good. It must have been a pleasure. Yeah, he really knows how to pick them. He's very talented. He was a a wonderful person to learn from. And the last last time we were there, there was was a front-of-house lady who had dark brown hair. She was from somewhere in in Europe, I think. And she, she had been at the original location, and then when they moved to that Washington, was it Washington Square location, she was still there. And, oh, was it Katrina? I think it must have been. Yeah. And, and Ma- Michael did a special tasting menu for us, and the first five courses were all pasta. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he likes pasta. You know, everyone can eat as, no, everybody can eat as much pasta as he can, but we try. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, and it looked that good. But it, was, um, but it was just such an amazing experience because not only was the food good, the, the service was quite extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So um, now, I I, can't, I really would love to get into your head, but there's sort of no way I can do that. But I'm going to give it a try. Is like, <laughs> where do these recipes come from? I mean, they're so creative. Um, you know, what what makes you think of recipes? Um, well, you know, I just I kind of think about how I like to eat, and you know, you think about how it looks and how it tastes and the texture and how easy it is, and you know, there's a lot of factors that go into something. Um, and you can eat a delicious plate of food at a restaurant but and think to yourself, it looks like it took them a long time and many people to do this. And we don't all have a small army of cooks working for us on a Tuesday night, so, you know, you, you kind of have to consider ease of, ease of execution when writing a recipe, not just is this the most delicious, is this the most appealing. So to me, it's really about, um, you know, I... I use travel as inspiration often, kind of food memory, and there's a lot that goes into it. And and with this particular book, because it was my first one, I kind of started, you know, with, with things that I had been cooking for many years or dishes that I felt like particularly defined me. And I think that res- recipe inspiration strikes at different times all the time. And you can be eating at a restaurant or visiting a local market or you know, sometimes I'm passing through the farmer's market and I see a vegetable and I think, oh, I don't cook with that nearly enough and I'll make a note to myself and kind of meditate on that vegetable and think, okay, well, this is really a sweet thing and I need something spicy or acidic to balance it out because I don't like sweet food and it's also soft so I want a lot of texture or, you know, maybe I want to lean into the softness of it and make it a creamy dish and, you know, there's a lot of different directions and I think food is endlessly interesting and it, it just basic ingredients are really inspiring. So I love grocery stores. I love farmers markets. I love anything. I just it's always so fun to me, and and I always come out with new ideas. I like I like the pages where you, you, it's just all story. There's no there's no recipe on there. You're just telling part of your story, including the, yeah. story, the story of the girls who like to go to steakhouses. That's right. Yeah. You do. <laughs> which is which is a distinctly unfeminine thing to do. 
Yeah, well, for us it's very feminine. So good, good. Well, I think I think it's I think it's a great thing, and and I agree with, I agree with you. The ribeye is absolutely the best steak to buy. That's what we that's what we buy all the time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I want to do the chicken with the anchovy paste. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, well, there's a, that's my favorite. There's a there's a thousand and one different recipe combinations to be used there. Exactly, you, you and have you a, have to you know I found myself needing to restrain myself sometimes because I love. I love anchovies. I love lemon. I love yogurt. I, you know, and it would be easy for me to put those things on every dish in the book, but you got to give some variety. Yeah. Now, um, the, you have this. Uh, what was it three, two pages at least? I'd have to recheck again on breadcrumbs. I've never seen so many recipes for breadcrumbs. Oh, they're the best. I would just <laughs> open a breadcrumb restaurant if it were up to me. <laughs> but I mean, but like, what is the uh, trace the the heritage of like what do you have here like what about this raw broccoli and basil salad with peanuts and shallot now oh, where's that great one. yeah but where does it come from uh well it's sort of to me a little bit uh thai inspired um you know there's the fish sauce and the lime uh maybe a little vietnamese but i just i i found this really beautiful broccoli at the market and i thought i love raw broccoli, but it has to be thin and it has to be kind of marinated. Um, and then, you know, to me, like the crispy shallots really just, because raw broccoli can feel very healthy, it can feel too, almost too virtuous. And yeah, so I think, I think so. by adding a little bit of that raw shallot or the fried shallot kind of, you know, rounds it out, gives you a little bit of comfort um, into a pretty otherwise healthy and lean dish. And so I, I don't know, I just, I love that salad. I remember the first time I made it, I ate the entire bowl myself. Yeah, well, I uh, have a mark for making. I have a, a a person who comes for dinner that's a little hard to cook for. And, and uh, one thing she loves is salads like that. And she always raves about some of the ones yeah. I come up with. So that's on that list. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fantastic. You, you, you point out that you um, are an omnivore and um, you, you do have really great recipes for fish and meat. But you are vegetable forward in your thinking, aren't you? I am, yeah. I just I find them to be really just like truly and genuinely delicious, but I also find them to be really versatile. And I think that, you know, we as a as a as a population should really be eating less meat than we are. Yes. Um and that's not any sort of, you know, political statement. I just I I don't I think what we're doing is not sustainable. Yeah. And you know, I don't think it's the best thing for our bodies. And I think that I don't I don't believe in extremes. So I don't think that you need to cut out meat entirely, but I do love to encourage people to eat, a, you know, a mostly vegetables. I think they're a lot more interesting. There's only so much you can do to a chicken breast, but there's about a million things you can do to a carrot. Yeah, yeah, you have some good carrot, right? And you, you really like radishes. That's, we always I have do. radishes. I do, I love radishes. Yeah. Well, and, they're beautiful, and they're spicy, and they're crunchy, and they're fresh, and I, they're just fantastic. Yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of fresh radish in the refrigerator right now, and Mm. And uh, with with the leaves on. And oh we, yeah, those are the best. And we I use love the, the leaves, leaves as a vegetable, and the the only place that I've been able to figure out where you can reliably get the radish with radishes with the greens on is Whole Foods. And, That's true. Uh, and even, yeah. Oh, you and know, even, even they market. even they don't get it right all the time. Right. Where are you guys based? Uh, Pittsburgh. So we have seasonal issues. <laughs> Ah, yeah. For farmers markets, but, yeah. But we live about 450 yards from the from the Whole Foods store, and it used to, it used to be the only one between Philadelphia and Cleveland. Oh wow! Now they have now they have more, but it's a great advantage that it's just down the street. So I shop almost every almost every day. I know all the employees in the store, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's the way my mother used to shop. Yeah, true. Daily. Uh, tell me this: you you don't like sweets, but you do have some really interesting dessert sweets recipes. But I mean, I'm trying to figure out how you eat this rhubarb almond galette. How do you eat it? You yeah. eat it with with wild abandon. You you <laughs> eat it, uh, you know, however you please. You yeah. I, I just kind of slice it almost like a pie. Yeah, you know, just you, cut you little eat, wedges. You eat it with a bib. It's so pretty. <laughs> it's very pretty. You eat it with a bib like a lobster. Yeah, so, exactly. So, what, what, besides your purpose of getting people back to cooking, um, 
what other interests do you have? I mean, where are you going to move on from this cookbook? Which, it, to me, it seems like you you got that every inch of creativity in, from your experience into this book. What will you do next? <laughs> well, I'm in the process of writing another one. Which yeah. I, you know, going to start that any day now. And, um, yeah, any yeah, day so now. I'm looking into kind of other other forms of media, you know, TV and podcasting and you know, different types of involvement and in basically bringing everything that's in the book, you know, more to life. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been podcast since 2004 and we didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I'm still learning, really. Well, I think you've done a, a, a wonderful job and the stories are interesting. Your humor is, is interesting. And uh, you sound like you're having fun, Allison. I am. I'm having a blast. I love my job. Um, I feel so lucky to be able to do what I do. I care about food and cooking so much, and I'm glad that people are using the book. And that was really the the main inspiration for writing it. I wanted to make something that people were going to really use. And so I'm just happy that they are cooking from it and seeming to enjoy themselves. And they're proud of what they're making and excited to do it again. So I feel like mission accomplished. Well, it's going to be used here. <laughs> now, now, do, now, do you have an online presence as well? Uh, do I you, do, do quite a bit. Or? Yeah, well, sort of, I, I guess. Yeah, Instagram, if you count that. I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know much about Instagram. I mean, do um, you, Yeah, you know, it's good. It's, it's a good way to, to get information out there and share, you know, images and stories and kind of, I don't have a blog, so it's, it's you know, kind of what I use as my platform to share news. and Those and blogs are people. really a drag. Peter decided he was going to do one years ago, and it didn't last very long. <laughs> I, I couldn't keep, yeah, I couldn't they're, keep they're it up. Yeah, they're challenging. It's a full-time job, and I, I have too much other stuff going on. I think that... I feel um, like I can devote myself to I that. mean, there are lots of people who started out like that pioneer woman. I mean, she... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she's, she's so, she, so many books. It's, she's probably it's just I think she's unbelievable. She the family she belongs to, she married into now, is the largest single landowner in the United uh, landowner in the United States. Believe it or not, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But anyhow, I, I compare it to. I mean, I think bloggers are like knitters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like where you're going with that. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> oh, dear. The, the, the neat part about it is that blogs are, so, are sort of now redundant because some of the things that you needed a blog for, you, you, don't, you don't need to have a blog anymore. No. I mean, if you have a website. I mean, it, it definitely an, is helpful, but you don't need it. If you have an Instagram account or just, just some vehicle like that. And, uh, and uh, I think that's that's the reason why they're sort of fading away. Uh, they're yeah. in fading weather every time you turn around there's somebody else with a blog. So, but I don't know. Anyhow, Allison Roman, um, uh, thanks for talking to us. Love your book. I uh, wish you the best and uh, hopefully you we'll run into each other sometime. I would love that. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Allison. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're going to continue on on a very similar subject. Uh, right after the break, so don't go away, because we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. And, and it's a really good cookbook, and she's a, she's, she was a really nice lady to talk to as well. Right. So, so much so that Anne sent me off to talk to her all on my own. Okay, as we started, uh, as we chatted just before this interview, Peter and Jennifer Siegel, I said, do you like to be called Jen or Jennifer? And Jennifer, you said? Jen. Jen is fine. Jen, Jen is fine. And, uh, yep. 
since it's our daughter-in-law's name and she prefers Gen 2, that's going to that's gonna make it easy. Good, good. <laughs> and Jen, what do you do for a living? For, the, for, the, for, for those of our listeners who don't really know what a blogger is. Ah, okay. I'm happy to tell you. So I am a food blogger, and um, basically what that means is that I create and share recipes online. So um, I have a website called Once Upon a Chef where I share delicious family-friendly recipes, um, you know, that appeal to busy families. And so the site reaches between 2 and 4 million readers every month. Wow. And I've been doing that. Yeah, I've been doing that for about nine years now. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, you, do you remember the early days of Twitter when there was, there was some movie star who wanted to be the first to get to a million tweet followers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your numbers are as big as his. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a great medium for sharing recipes. You know, I think sort of in a way it's like a living cookbook. You know, one thing that I do on the site is that, you know, the site is really interactive, and so I really encourage people to leave comments, review the recipes, ask questions, and so it's become this wonderful community of home cooks from all over the world, really. Now, how did, how did you decide that you were qualified to do this? Well, um, this, so I've been in the restaurant and food business for many years. When I graduated college, I went to culinary school, and then I worked in fine dining restaurants for years um, until I had children. But once I had kids... Got um, it. Okay. Then, it, then that became some, something you just really couldn't do, right? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. It just became impossible. I couldn't work the long hours and weekends anymore. So I was, you know, trying to think of, you know, ways that I could, you know, use learned in the restaurant business to, you know, start a new career. And at the time, um, you know, what I really wanted to do was write a book. But, you know, I quickly realized that getting published as an unknown was, you know, completely impossible. So my younger sister, who was like more hip than I, you know, than I am and was, said, you know, you should start a cooking blog. And I was like, what's a cooking blog? And she sent me some links to, you know, some popular blogs at the time. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And, you know, there were no barriers to entry. So I was able to come up with a name, you know, register my domain, and then just start posting recipes, like, the very next week. But, but so you, that was how I got started. But you did write a book. So it wasn't, it wasn't that you couldn't write a book. You you didn't think you could, but then you just did. And and that's, in fact, that's the proximate reason we're talking today, because we, yes, we, got, yes. we got a copy, and it's a really it's a really fine book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited because it really is a long-time dream of mine. You know, I I first thought of writing a book when I was, you know, working my first kitchen job, and I, you know, just remember thinking, like, I don't know if I'm really cut out for this line of work. I mean, it was grueling, and it took me a long time to get used to it, and I just remember being in the kitchen that first week thinking, gosh, I don't know if this is going to work out. You know, maybe I could write a book, and it's something that I've just thought about throughout my career, and... um you know, so it's really exciting to finally now, gosh, it's like 20 years later, be able to, you know, write a real cookbook with stories and beautiful photos, and I'm really excited about it. Now, what what is it you think that makes your your book different than all the other cookbooks that are out there, of which there are many many thousands and many thousands of them cross out cross our doorstep, so we know. I mean, what, yes, what, yes. what, what, what is, is there something about it that do you think makes it uniquely suitable for the home chef or, or unique, yeah. uniquely? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think what makes any book unique is really the point of view of the author, right? So I think for me, you know, as a chef turned mom, you know, I've got a 13 year old daughter and a 14 year old son and they've got busy schedules and I'm working full time. So I totally get how hard it is for busy families to get dinner on the table every night. You know, but as a trained chef, I also want to make really great things for my family and I want to eat really well myself. And so the book is really about making gourmet cooking easy and accessible to home cooks. And, um, you know, another thing is that it's really so much more than just a collection of recipes. The book is filled with, you know, sort of fun, chef-y tricks of the trade that help readers become 
better cooks just as they work their way through the book. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, I think what makes it unique is because I am a food blogger and I've got a presence online, you know, one thing that, you know, I was as I was saying before, I, I really, you know, I've got all these readers, this community of cooks, and one thing that I do is I really encourage people to ask questions and leave comments. And so it's very interactive. And so, you know, I do that in the book as well. I encourage people to reach out to me if they have any questions because I think being able to ask a chef a question, it's, you know, it's sort of like having a chef on call. It makes cooking so much less intimidating. You know, it's, it's you know, as you're cooking, things come up and, you know, maybe you want to double a recipe or maybe you're wondering if it can be frozen. And it's, I think it's just nice to be able to ask. Oh, so I think that's absolutely. another thing. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to add you to my list <laughs> and, I, and I'm and I'm and I'm going to add my son to your list because please he, do he, yeah I would love that he's he's known to call me halfway between cooking the fish saying Dad I've had it on for so long will it be done yet right I know well you know because when you're cooking it you know even if you're making the same recipe over and over nothing is ever the same twice you know there's always you know there's so much variability in the ingredients that we use and. You know, our ovens can be funky, and so it's just—it's nice to be able to ask questions. Yeah, plus you want to be—you want to be able to experiment anyway, don't you? I mean, I think—I think you want—you want to try something, and then if you like—if you—if it turns out to be successful, then you want to tweak it to make it to, yeah, make, it diff- to, to make it different. And yeah. uh, and you must do that a lot. But can you can you think of a couple of examples of of things that uh, are in are in the book or that you've featured on your blog? That, that, that are in these categories, like wh- one you mentioned, uh, oh, yeah. res- recipes like, that are easy and quick to get on the table. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, there's so many of them in the book. I mean, in terms of um, dinner recipes, there's some wonderful, easy pasta. You know, I've got a kale and walnut um, pesto with spaghetti, which is a great, easy dinner that you can have on the table in 20 minutes. That's because you know, you've made that's because you've made the pesto already, right? Well, even the pesto doesn't take the pesto. You know, you just whirl it quickly in the food processor, and it's done mm-hmm. in five minutes. Well, my, so then you're just and, and, boiling the pasta. <laughs> yeah, and makes pesto for us in a wide variety of different using a wide variety of different nuts. It's a whole lot of fun oh. to, to to figure out what the next one's going to be. Oh yeah, and, yeah, I know. And I think I think we have one we have one left from last year. And uh, pretty pretty soon the herbs will be will be back in again, and we can always get the nuts, and then the 2018 version will come That's along. That's right. That's right. And it, the nice leather can't come soon enough. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to plant about... my herbs. Oh yeah. You well, know, you, you, well, you've had a fairly difficult winter down in your direction. Oh, it's been you? brutal. Yeah. Okay. Here's a here's here's a tricky question. What's the difference between your blog recipes and your cookbook recipes? Ah, that's a great question. So on on my blog, you know, I'm, I'm sharing recipes once a week. Um, so every week there's a new recipe that goes up on the blog. And the recipes really tend to be, you know, sort of seasonal or, you know, things that are kind of trendy at the moment or just sort of what I'm cooking right then. Whereas the book is really more of a best of the best collection of recipes from every part of my life. And you know, the recipes also kind of work together. So, you know, you can put menus together from the recipes from the book. It's, you know, it's just, um, you know, there's recipes from, you know, cooking from with my mom as a little girl to recipes that I learned studying abroad in France and working as an au pair. There's recipes from restaurants that I've worked in, um, you know, and then so many things that I make today for my family. Yeah. So it sort of feels like it's just this culmination of my career you know, recipes from each chapter of my life. Do, do you have a style, would you say? I mean, that, that's a personal Jen Siegel style? Gosh, you know, I think, um, you know, I love all types of food. And so, there's, you know, I like to cook a lot of ethnic food. And so there's all sorts of things um, in the book and also on my blog. But I think for me, it's just easy. You know, like I, I feel like, you know, most people, myself included, don't have time to spend hours and hours in the kitchen. And so, you know, my feeling is that you really don't need to to make great food. You know, it's it's no more work to create 
an amazing dinner than it is just a mediocre one. You just need the right recipes. And so for me, it's about, you know, curating a collection of recipes that, you know, that are easy and that you don't have to run all over town looking for weird ingredients that you're never going to use again. You know, the rest, the recipes are out there. It's just a matter of, you know, coming up with a collection of recipes that work and, you know, creating your own repertoire of things that your family loves. So I would say for me, it's, you know, delicious, but doable. Now, what, what's, what's it like in your household? I mean, and let me, let me, let me explain a little bit what I mean by that. Uh, for, for a variety, for a variety of reasons, I seem to have become the person who cooks most in, in, in our duo, Anne and Peter, although Anne, Anne is much the better cook over the years. More, more and more, I, I have taken over some of those duties. And it's, it's hard to sometimes think about something new to cook. Yes. And I, I have a feeling that you would probably say, well, in that case, you need to join the Once Upon a, Once <laughs> Upon a Chef blog, or you would need to get the Once Upon a Chef. In, That's right. In, in, That's right. In, in order to be able to in, increase the variety. I mean, it's, it's, it's so depressing when, if it's, if it's Monday, it's leftover meat from Sunday's lunchtime. If it's, yeah, if it's Tuesday, it, it, it's fish. If it's Wednesday, it's liver. And yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what Thursday and Friday were, but that was the ro- <laughs> that was the rotation in my home when I was growing up. My mother didn't like to cook a whole lot, and uh, I guess we, we we didn't know any better. But it was the same thing every week. On on you could pick on Mondays this, Tuesdays that, and and we don't we don't want to do that anymore. And I I, I hope I don't do that. And I'm sure that yeah. your bloggers don't. Yeah, I mean, but it's understandable. I mean, I think, you know, when you're cooking for a family, it's very easy to get in a rut because, I mean, I know, you know, my kids are picky too, just like everybody else's kids. And so, you know, trying new things is a bit of a risk because, you know, who knows if they're going to like it. And so it's just easier to just make the things that you make over and over again. Um, so I get that. But, you know, it is, you know, I, I sort of use my kids as guinea pigs, you know, like, I sort of feel like if, if they like something, there's a good chance that most other kids will like it just because they are that picky. So, you know, I think that over time my readers have, you know, sort of learned to trust my recipes and, you know, just try maybe one new thing a week. And then over time it's like you, you broaden your repertoire of things that you make. And I think you actually can get excited about cooking. You know, I think if you know that things are going to turn out well and there's a good chance that your family's going to like it, cooking is actually fun. So, so what's on? So, what's on your dining room table for the next two or three days? Ah, oh, okay. Ah. Well, we're, we're, <laughs> we're having leftovers from Passover still. Um, oh, there you I, go. That's that's yeah. nice. Yeah, I actually made this year um, one of the recipes from my book. It's a Moroccan style brisket. I made that for Passover, and it's one of my favorite recipes oh, in the book. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and then, um, but for my blog this week, I'm working on a Vietnamese-style meatball recipe that's so delicious and has, like, a little, like, hot chili dipping sauce with it. So that's what's going up on the site this week, and that's a great weeknight dinner, you know, for for everybody that I think people will really like. Now, what what's in those meatballs? Are they, is, is it diff- different meats, or what, what what's the what's the mixture? So, yeah, I use a mixture of beef and pork. Okay. And to that, I add ginger, fresh mint, fresh cilantro, um, some like red chili flakes, some fish sauce, and garlic, and some panko breadcrumbs and an egg. I think that's everything. And then <laughs> that sounds, just, sounds, sounds pretty good. Then you mix it yeah. all up. Then you mix it all up together, right? You mix it all up together, and then um, you just. Bake them in the oven in like a 400 degree oven. It takes like 25 minutes for them to bake. And while the meatballs are in the oven, you make the quick dipping sauce and then serve it over rice and some steamed broccoli and dinner's done. There you go. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Now in, 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 my, in my house, we're having salmon and we're having cabbage. Oh well, that sounds delicious. But, 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 but we're doing something special with the cabbage. We're adding garlic and uh, soy sauce and caraway seeds Ooh, to the cabbage, wonderful. Which, which, which is which is an Anne Haig specialty. 
thinking oh, of things like that. Oh, I have to try that. That sounds so good. And and if I was if I was bored with soy sauce, I'd probably put some sauce in there. Now, yeah, now yeah, that sounds wonderful. Now there's a super ingredient for you if you like. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't you love that Vietnamese fish sauce? I do love it. I, I mean, my kids complain when I cook with it because it stinks, but um, they, they like the way it tastes. I think that's how most people feel, but it does, it, you know, it smells. Um, I, I, you know what? I never, I never noticed. I, I, the one thing I found found with it that's that's really, and I, I'm I'm guessing you probably agree is it's a great thing for for bringing up the saltiness. Oh yeah, 100%. If your dish just somehow isn't salty enough, then a couple of dashes of, of, of fish sauce will, will fix it right up. Absolutely, absolutely. And you were mentioning cabbage. Um, for St. Patrick's Day, I posted a recipe on my site for corned beef and cabbage, and uh-huh. I um, roasted the cabbage this year, and it was wonderful. And so before I, I roasted it, I tossed it with this, um, some melted butter mixed with horseradish and salt and pepper and it was so good it, it tasted almost like roasted brussels sprouts now how, how did you slice the cabbage up to do that because it's one of one of the problems I, with cabbage is it's it's hard to get it just to be able to pick up all the all the things that are in the yeah yeah i mean i just sliced it like shredded it almost so into like half inch thick slices Got so it, it wasn't okay. really in wedges it, you know it was it was really sliced uh-huh. Uh, but it was so good roasted. Anne's, Anne's going to be disappointed that she missed out on this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could, Jennifer, I could talk to you all day, all day long. Oh, likewise. Exchanging tips and, en- and enjoying the fact that we're trying to put the fun back in the kitchen. Yes, absolutely. That's what it's all about. Well, thank you so much for joining on the menu today. We wish you continued success with your blog and, and we're sure that once upon a, once upon a chef, will be a great and successful cookbook. So oh, thank you so much for and, having me. And and keep keep in touch and let us let us know if you come up with something really that we must not miss out on. I will. I will. Thank you again. Oh oh and how do you sign on? What's the let's just double check. Then, uh to to the website is yes. uh onceuponachef.com. Okay. And you can find me there, you can find me on Instagram or on Facebook and um all the links to the book are on the site as well. Great. Well, have a great time, and thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we've got a large personality as well as a, um, a high-profile chef, uh, Eddie Hernandez, whose book has this great title of Turnip Greens and Tortillas. <laughs> and you may not catch that, but basically, uh, he's a chef working in the South, Southern food, and he's giving it a twist on his native Mexico. And he started out wanting to be a rock star. He wanted to be a rock star. In, in, <laughs> in, in, in Mexico. Well, he is a rock star, but, in, but in the kitchen. And now he's a <laughs> super-duper successful restauranter, I think mostly in Atlanta. So anyway, here's Eddie. Okay. Okay, Eddie Hernandez. It, it's it's a it's a long road from from where you started out to where you are today. Sh- share with us what that journey has been like and and what it's meant to you to become a very very well known very successful chef in these United States. It's not what not what it looked like it was going to be when you began. Not, not, well, I never thought that this is how it was going to end up being like. Because, you know, the goal was, for me at the time, when I first came to to uh, the United States, was to be a musician. I came because I wanted to record it right. here in the United States. And, uh, you know, o- over time, and, and I ended up getting back into the kitchen. And that was 30 years ago. And I was told that I'd be cooking for three days. And I'm still in the kitchen. 
Uh-huh, here you are. <laughs> Thank God he only said three days, because if he says four, uh-huh. I'll be looking at another ten years. Uh-huh. Now, the, the group was called Fascination, and w- would it have made it onto The Voice or American Idol, do you think? No, no, no. I mean, we... Uh, it's it's pretty funny to look back on on what she did at one point, you know. I was just like any other teenager who thought that heading out to to become very successful, the dream was bigger than the uh, talent, I guess. <laughs> but you know, uh, but but you know, the the one thing about it is that I just like to do things and try to be successful later. Uh-huh. And I was able to understand that I was going to be more successful money-wise by being the opening band than by being the number one band. Yeah. And when we realized that, we decided to be the best second band that we could be mm-hmm. and, and have worked year-round, and it worked out really good. Money-wise, where it did not work out really well with my personal life, and then up having to make some changes in order to keep me sane and, you know, and... and I still enjoy life. And give a life, well, you know, on top of that. And now your, your book that we're going to be talking about is called Turnip Greens and Tortillas. And, and what yeah. you're really writing about is you are a Mexican chef applying spices, um, Mexican spices, to the southern cuisine that you came to, you encountered in the United States. Um, we actually recently interviewed somebody who was Indian, who uh-huh. uh, who added uh, Indian spices to uh, the Southern cuisine, and then we had who was the one who was my two Souths. She was uh, uh-huh. she she did um, was it um, Indonesian or something? Anyhow, there are lots of people who use Southern cooking as a base for expanding on their repertoire into spicy, particularly foods. Why do you think that is? Well, the, well, for one thing, southern food and Mexican food match up perfectly because they have so many things in common. The use of the ingredients are very similar to the ones that we use in Mexico. And we have a lot of things that we share. You know, for one thing, you know, we both cuisines love corn. We both love pork. And we like grains and lots of fresh vegetables. And so once I realized how similar the cuisine was, I was able to start changing the perception of Mexican food a little bit in the South by allowing the customers to see things that they knew what they were, but done in a way that they did not have had it before. And we got a really good response. Over the years, you know, people began to expect, you know, us to do things that they wanted to have that they have not had before. We also share the fact that we, or or really our cooking, has a lot of French influence. Because oh, really? we were okay. occ- occupied by the French. But so does Luciana Cuisine, which, because some of them still speak French. No kidding. So we have all... We have all these things in common, and it was really easy for me to mash up the cuisine and create dishes that people knew what they were. You know, we do fried chicken, uh-huh. you do fried chicken, but I use blue cornmeal instead of flour. Right. So now it, it becomes very interesting and intriguing to, to the customer to see, okay, I'm used to having fried chicken with flour. What about this corn coating on it instead of the regular cornmeal that we do here. So actually the interest in that became what, you know, South by Southwest Cuisine is all about now. Now, because you, now you do write in your book that you that you made a discovery uh, called pot liquor. <laughs> yes. It's hard, it's hard to imagine that, that, that you had lived some pot portion of your life before you knew about pot liquor, but t- tell us the story about... How that how that changed the way you approached cooking? Because I think it did. Uh, and, well, I talk a lot about that, but if you can just ask me the first part of the question again, I got lost on that a little bit. Uh, you, 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 one of the discoveries you made that 
that made your cooking different was when you discovered this strange southern concoction called pot liquor. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that that actually uh, I discovered through the years, you know. It's the fact to, to that the southern people had so many dishes that they love, but so do we. And then, like turnip greens, for example. When I discovered turnip greens, I didn't even know what they were. I had to ask my partner, and he gave me a little tour of some of the, you know, very well-known restaurants in the city who did turnip greens, and I was able to understand what that was, and that that was all about. And then I, from there, I just decided to go after that concept and really try to create a cuisine in in a market that was non-existent at the time, you know. And Publix is one of the stores that I used to go, I used to go all the time, which is still to, to uh, just look at things and see what made sense to, to my crazy mind and try to work with those things. So I changed the rules a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm not food correct. I cook whatever is available. I'm not afraid to try new things. Mexican cooks, for the most part, are pretty tricky and tricky, and, and they adapt to whatever we have. We're very resourceful to create things with what we have, and I think that's what we're good at. Now, how did you originally get connected with your partner? His name is Mike, right? Mike, yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, well, you know, had an open restaurant. It was a franchise called El Azteca. And I came in the day before he opened and asked for a job as a waiter uh, because I didn't want to work in the kitchen. And I was trying to get away from music and the life that I had at the time. And one of my friends, you know, recommended that I should get a job here in the state in Georgia, which I, that was not the plan. And uh, he got me a case of beer that I won't get a job, and I took him up on it. I got the job and the case of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that, that was 30 years ago. And so three days later after I started working with Mike, I realized that what he was selling was not good. You know, I mean, it, it was not Mexican food. That's not what we eat in Mexico. It was, you know, a downsized, downsized version of Mexican food, you know, and it was just, it, it wouldn't even be okay for me to serve that. <laughs> and, and and there's a lot of it, there's a lot of it still out there too, right? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, it is. And, I, and, and you know, I wanted to, to help Mike. I thought that he was a great guy that was straight, that he seemed like he would not lie to me, and and uh, we were going to, we will do good things. So I, I told him what I thought. He put me in charge of the kitchen. And I said, you know, I want to be the general manager. I don't want to be the cook. I will get this thing straight for you. And in return, you give me the job as the general manager. And he agreed to to do so. Unfortunately, I never left the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> out, at the end, it worked out really good for the two of us because I really enjoy cooking. You know, I mean, I don't do anything unless I like it. I tell everybody, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of tumbles and turns and falls to find out what you're really good at. And uh, for me, it was cooking. And eventually, I I got to where, okay, this I'm really good at this and I need to stick with this. And I decided to try to be the best I could. Now, now Eddie, tell our, tell our listeners about the current state of your restaurant empire because because you you've uh, you're a little modest in saying you stayed in the kitchen you've you've uh, built quite an enterprise you and Mike together yes well all restaurants are called taquerias and so that concept we had for 18 years uh, we opened it up in 2000 of course everybody thought that we were crazy some of them still do and sometimes we agree with them. But nevertheless, we opened Taqueria in 2000, and it was a concept that Mike and I would sit down, we talk about something that we really both enjoy, which was tacos, and creating a, a concept of food that was 
non-existent at the time, which was the taco train, and creating a restaurant that was a, a restaurant that was going to be for everybody. It was going to be good quality food at a good reasonable price, and and we were going to hope that that was going to be enough for us to be successful. Uh, we didn't think that we were going to be this successful. We thank God for that every day that we can. You know, unless we're asleep, the well, first thing we do is say, hey, thank you, Jesus, for everything. And because we are very successful, we have great businesses, we do really, really well. We have uh, restaurants in, in, in the state of Georgia, and we have two restaurants in Tennessee as well. And right now, we don't want to open restaurants left and right. We want to do a good job and enjoy what we do and also have a life, you know. And we've been really hard on that part. We don't work on Sundays. I think it's important that our employees have Sunday off to spend with their kids, their wives, their girlfriends, or the soccer team, or whatever they want to do. But it's a day they all can get together and share the day. And therefore, we don't work on Sundays. And I think that helps out a lot. People appreciate the fact that we're not here just trying to be very wealthy and work little. We want to be fair. We want to be part of the community. We like to talk to our customers, and they like to watch us work and fight. And I think that's one of the reasons Taqueria del Sol is a successful restaurant. Now, now in, the, in the book, let's go back to the book, Turnip, Greens, and Tortillas. Are the recipes in there, the recipes that you developed and that you use today in your restaurants, or are, are they yes. changed? No, no, no. Eighty percent of the recipes in the book are Taqueria del Sol recipes that we still use today. Some of them we use daily, which are many items. Some are the ones that we use as part of the rotating specials that we do weekly. Uh, but all of those recipes there is, is recipes, you know, some of them are from my childhood, some are from when I used to live in Texas. Some of them are my ideas of the Southwest, because you still spend a lot of time out west in, in New Mexico. And some are the ones that we created over the years. But everything is actually very simple. I wanted a book that you can actually cook out of it. You know, almost every recipe on that book, you probably have 80% of the ingredients at home already. Now tell me. Yeah, tell me what. Can you tell us what's what are some of the recipes you're most proud of? Could you run us through some of them? Well, obviously, I'm very proud of the turnip greens because it's a little item that nobody thought that it can be the way it is today. Tell us, tell us about it. Well, turnip greens. Most southern people will cook everything together in a pot with a ham hock and. Some of them put vinegar, some put hot sauce, and whatnot. The way I approach the greens is I treat them like a vegetable, which it is. I cook the greens in water, nothing else, no salt, no spices. Once they boil for about 20, 25 minutes, I'll take them out, I'll drain them, I'll chop them up really fine. Then on another part, I'll start with my my sauce. I build like a sauce with tomatoes and garlic and onions and peppers. Then I'll replace the water with chicken stock. Once everything is, is it tastes like a soup, we'll let the greens and finish cooking the greens in the in the sauce. So that you know the greens will absorb some of the flavors from the chicken stock. And all you gotta do is add a little salt at the end and you're done. Uh-huh. You That's know. simple, yeah. Very yeah, simple. Now, if you just boiled, if you just boiled them up like a traditional southerner would do, they wouldn't taste of anything, would they? No, no, you get to taste it. You get to taste everything. Actually, I wanted to put on every recipe taste, 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 because the key to a good cooking is to taste what you're making. If you make a mistake, you should be able to spot it right away. Say, like if you haven't, if you're doing the corn chowder, it's an example. What about if you put salt instead of sugar? Well, if you taste it, you realize that you don't quite your shrimp or your corn and you save some time. So it's very important to taste the food. And, and what would I, what, if, if I have a, a, a pot of 
must of uh, turnip greens. What am I? What am I going to have for a protein to go along with that? Well, obviously, everybody's going to want some cornbread. Okay, which right. is a must. In my case, we like fresh tortillas because that's how we like to eat it. It's still the same thing, you know. It's cornbread versus corn tortillas. It's just two different little things, you know. And in the book, I have recipes on how to make different uh, types of tortillas. There, some will be designed to do enchiladas. Some will be to use a table instead of bread. And some of them uh, will replace the cornbread on it. But most of the time, the tuna greens are to go with another dish. The tuna greens is a soup, not an entree. We can turn it into an entree if we like by adding some uh, some of the charros beans, which are on the book, some of the uh, uh, the Mexican rice, which is also in the book. You can combine all that together, and it becomes a great meal. Because I just, well, I didn't use to, I still do. And we like to do like a really hearty soup with all, with all the ingredients. It's called the George, which is also in the book. You can look it up. I don't know what the page is right now on top of my head. But it's there, you know. But, but you can do anything you want out of this book. Well, I got a little, uh, let's, let's repeat the name so that the, our listeners can go get the book. It's called Turnip Greens and Tortillas. And it's Eddie Hernandez who brings his, uh, Mexican style and sensitivities and sensibilities to cooking southern food in the freshest and simplest way. Is that correct then, Eddie? Oh yeah, it's perfect. I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we, re- we know we know because we read the book. <laughs> hey, I read the book too because yeah. I really like the stories on the book. You know, sometimes I amaze myself when I read some of the the the, the words on the book, and I go, "Did I really say that?" <laughs> <laughs> what you did? It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of. It's a, a really fun book. The it is what I expect out of a cookbook. A lot of people like to buy a cook that has really beautiful pictures, but the recipes make no sense. They take too long sometimes. They don't actually work the way they, they, they're written down on the book. This book will allow you to cook anything in less than one hour, except for the uh, boiled peanuts, which... Every southern knows it takes about two and a half to three hours. <laughs> right, right. But there's no tending to it. All you got to do is make sure it doesn't run out of water and it'll be perfect. Wow. But there's a lot of other simple recipes. The cheese dip is an example. You know, here we're getting close to Cinco de Mayo. You can do a pot of cheese dip with chips on the table. You can do a little guacamole with some of the taquitos. If you cannot make them, we provide the website where you can order them. You can do a ceviche, which is a really cool little thing that we got in the book. We give you lots of ideas. I mean, the the eggs that we got over there, um, the double eggs, we have two recipes in the book. They're actually really good. Everybody cooked them yesterday, everybody that knows me, and I got invited to a bunch of them. Like, ah, well, come and test the, the double eggs, and I go, I got enough double eggs to let me for about a two, three <laughs> lifetimes. Because everybody's making it. Well, it, so well, it's the book a, itself will give you a lot of choices. Eddie hasn't. It's so so nice to have had you on our program. It's a Mexican success story. It's an American success story. It's a Southern success story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, I'm thank so you, Eddie. Glad you had me and your program today, and uh, and I hope everybody buys the book yeah, me because too. it is a book that you will enjoy. Yes. Well, I'm enjoying it, and thank you very much, Eddie. And now, as they say, now is the time to say goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye. Until next week, (laughs) when we'll be be here, same time, same place, next week, and we'll say... Bye-bye.